Hello, welcome to Base Camp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is the show that gives you insights and resources in how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. The Secret Lives of Men. Here's a quote by the poet Khalil Gibran. Quote, Keep me away from the wisdom which does not cry, the philosophy which does not laugh, and the greatness which does not bow before children, unquote. I was recently thinking about the men I admire most. I noticed that these men are, without exception, very emotionally intelligent. For men, it's one of our little secrets. We are emotionally intelligent and we read our emotional environments with great skill. Women and the culture at large pretend we don't know how to do this, and we nod and go along with the men are emotional dummies assessment. This whole notion that women are more emotionally intelligent because they talk about their emotions so much is a shaky assumption. If you were in a group of people having a discussion, would you automatically assume that the one that talks the most is the most intelligent? Yet we assume that just because women talk more of their feelings, that they somehow get it more clearly than men do. This is not a knock on women or how they process their feelings. I love women. I just take exception to the assumption that the more you talk, the more you know. It's just not been my experience of this. It's true that men can be emotionally unavailable. We can tune out and be emotionally unresponsive. It can be a coping mechanism when we feel overwhelmed. But it's a mistake to assume that we are not intelligent in our emotional expressions. As men, it is not our way to be constantly talking about how we feel. It is just not how we roll. However, we do know how to read the emotional vibe in a room. We are especially good at reading other men. We know when our women are scared or unhappy. So can we please stop pretending that men don't get emotions? I teach and I learn in men's groups. We get together once a week to work on all things that are most important to men. Raising emotional awareness is one of the big pieces that we learn. But here's the thing. Many of the men show up with a fairly high level of emotional intelligence to start with. We just help them grow their mastery and learn some of the more subtle aspects of emotional awareness. In our quest to become more emotionally intelligent, we come to know the basic emotions, joy, anger, fear, grief, and shame. There are subtleties in other emotions, excitement, distress, etc., etc. However, in working to know and understand the basic five, a man can significantly improve his understanding of how these emotions show up both in himself and in others. What's the point of growing our emotional intelligence? Well, for starters, it makes us smarter. It's true. That's why they call it emotional intelligence. Another reason is that it makes you a more skilled communicator. You can speak to and from the emotional undertones in a conversation and situation. This gives you more power in almost every situation that you will see. And by growing your emotional intelligence, you'll get more expressive. This gives you a charisma that you don't have access to by staying with your current emotional range and depth. And your kids will learn greater emotional range and authenticity. They'll come to value emotional expression, and they'll apply it to all sorts of situations to their benefit. In short, there's not a situation I can think of where greater emotional range and skill is not an advantage to you as a man. It makes you a better lover, a better father, a better son, and a better friend. In particular, men get emotionally smarter when they claim their joy, sadness, and shame. These are the three emotions that can easily hide in the shadows for men. My guest today is Benjamin Seaman. Ben is a psychotherapist who's been practicing in New York City for 20 years, specializing in couples and emotional literacy for men of all backgrounds. He has appeared in print, TV, and radio outlets on various self-help issues. 
Mr. Seaman was co-director of an annual spiritual retreat for men from 2005 to 2017 and continues to offer workshops on creativity, relationships, and other personal growth topics. You can read about his practice at benjaminseaman.com. Mr. Seaman is also a visual artist, and you can view his work on Instagram at visualartbyben. Ben, welcome to the show. In this episode, it's really all about growing your emotional intelligence as a man. And my first question to you is why? Like, Why should men go through the process of growing their emotional awareness? And how do they go about doing that? It's such a great question. And uh, I actually have this exercise I do with guys. Basically, when I see guys in my office, they have two emotions. One emotion is fine, and one emotion is pissed. Everything else is kind of a vague background noise to a lot of guys. And to be really clear, I see a lot of guys that are fallout from couples therapy. So it may not be the average guy out there, but it's, it's guys who have done the tough, cool, boys don't cry thing, and it's not working for them anymore. I have this exercise I do with them where I have them picture a dashboard like they were flying a plane. And I just name four meters, one for anger, one for sadness, one for fear, and one for joy. And I just ask them to tell me on a scale of one to 10, what do those meters read out? They don't even have to get into the story of it, but they can tell me I have a six of anger and a eight of sadness and a three of fear and a zero of joy. And I don't even ask them the details. I just say, what's it like to have a readout? Because this is your dashboard and this is affecting your course whether you're looking at the meters or not. And do you want to know more about what these meters are reading? That's great. That's a great process. I'm going to borrow that from you. Feel freely. The, the research on emotions is really interesting, but when it comes to men and women, and this is for giving all the generalizations and genders and non-binary and everything that's going on right now. In general, men are socialized to focus on the top priority signals and not create linguistic narratives about the physical sensations in their bodies. Women, on the other hand, any physical sensation, which we call emotion, they turn into a feeling, which is the languaged version of that emotion. And men are just like, are you good? Okay, then let's go. So there's not a lot of language for these subtle feelings like, the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up or whatever it might be. Right. And they don't see the connection between, say, being aware of your body and aware of your feelings. For them, right. it's just like you said, pissed or fine. And then everything else is just murky. And I, I don't want to get into all that. You know, exactly. Stuff. So it's amazing to me that men still think therapy means they're broken, right? right. It's like, I don't want to go into that. I might have to, you know, they don't think of it as a way to empower themselves. And when I get asked, when men ask me, like, you know, should I do therapy? I say, it depends. You want to improve every aspect of your life because that's what's going to happen if you start right. getting in there and finding out about yourself. So uh, you mentioned the, the, the dials on the primary emotion. So fear, anger, shame, grief, joy. I think I added one there. You said four and, and I've got I mean, five of the basics. You could add any of them. I go with anger, sadness, fear, and joy. Grief, shame, guilt. Those are great things to measure also. Which ones do you see men collectively? Like, which ones do they have the most difficulty expressing and accessing? I'd have to say sadness and grief have the most shame around it. We're socialized to think that's weak. Totally. I, I was going to compare with you on a personal level. Like, which one's most difficult for you personally? Well, it's interesting because in my family, I was very much uh, socialized and raised to, to wallow in grief. And anger, we just don't do. 
it took me forever to figure out that anger and how you express it are two different things. I remember my father would say, if you're ever angry at somebody, just write it out on a piece of paper and throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> like years later, someone told me that you're supposed to take what's on that paper and share it with the other person. Right. Right. It never yeah. crossed my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Your dad's like, <laughs> what up? Eat it. Just don't ever mention it. Yeah. Right. Just get it out of your system. Don't, but don't have an actual functioning relationship where you set boundaries. For me, I think it's, it's what you had mentioned. It's grief and sadness. I notice even shame, you know, that took me years to kind of find that and be able to express that and notice it as it came up. Grief is something that um, I had a dear friend pass away last summer and it gave me the opportunity to express my grief in front of my 12-year-old. Over the years, he says, daddy never cries, daddy never cries. And I was like, God, all the men's work and all the stuff I've had and I still you know, I don't experience a lot of sadness, but there's sometimes when I'm just bowled over by sadness and I typically will process it myself and not share it. So it gave me the opportunity since I was so heartbroken last summer to actually really weep and and, and express sadness for him. And I could tell that it made a big difference for him and he could comfort me, you know, like I've done with him. So that, that was, and that's still, I can still notice myself shame around it where I don't want people to see me that vulnerable. Yeah. So men's work, You've done your fair share of being in men's groups, leading sure. men's groups. What, what's the impact that it's had for you? And what did you learn about yourself and about other men by being part of the men's group? That's such a great question. I mean, I just don't think anyone can realize the tiny little shell they're in and the tiny little playing room they're in when they've been socialized in the U.S. with the U.S. style of emotions. I mean, for the longest time, I mean, I'm a gay man. For the longest time, I, I literally thought that straight men did not have feelings. Right. <laughs> so my first excursion into men's work, I actually purposely went, you know, I had been going to all the gay guy stuff because that was safe for me in my comfort zone. But to go find out straight men had feelings, I was literally stunned. And this is me <laughs> as a psychotherapist, several years in practice. And I thought, well, my therapy clients have emotions, but... The average guy walking down the street does not feel things. Right. So to be in a group of men where it, it almost was like who could feel the most, that just gives you access to a whole different experience. You, you are having a different conversation at a, at a corporate meeting when you think all these soldiers have something on the inside. Right. For me, it was so eye-opening to see men from all walks of life, different skin yeah. color, different sexual orientations, yeah. uh, different religious backgrounds, and have this really common ground of emotional expression and inner life that, like you said, I, I would have not known that was going on with every man. And so it's just like this real collective connection inside of that and healing too, absolutely. you know, that you can be yeah, yourself absolutely. in there, you know? So absolutely. we are seeing tons of stuff around men misbehaving around sexuality, um, this Me Too stuff. We're seeing tons of bad behavior out there. I don't know what to do with it sometimes. You know, like I feel connected to it because I recognize my own immaturity in these men, but I'm not sure how to take ownership or how to say, you know what I mean? There's, I've been a little confused by it and gone like, wow, we've been really behaving poorly. What are your thoughts on that? Like, what's your take on the things that have been unfolding around the Me Too and healthy sexuality as a, as a, as a topic? Well, there's so many layers there. To start with, I think most of us need to give ourselves credit that we are not Harvey Weinstein, who was just brutally abusive of his power. 
the levels that he went to to exert power over women are just gothic. I think that makes headlines. I think most men can give themselves some credit that they are not walking around Weinsteining everybody. And I think a lot of the headlines get everybody on the defensive and then start to polarize. And people that don't even have a sexual history are tearing someone's head off on Facebook. And someone else who's maybe not even ever touched a woman is defending the right to kiss a woman wherever he wants and whenever he wants. And I think there's this whole middle ground of people that are basically raised pretty well. That said, I think it's great that there's this awakening that, no, maybe you shouldn't just touch whenever you feel like it and that there's personal space and that men have held the power in that, that region for a long time. And I think it's great that there's awakening of it. And at the same time, I, of course, I question this cancel culture where you're just out because of a mishap. And, you know, it's like we all have done some crazy stuff as teenagers that I wouldn't, yes. wouldn't want to have had recorded on Facebook. I was learning and so was everyone else. It would be a shame for that to become your record. Right. That's a great answer. Really compassionate for men. Um, I wanted to ask you, I, I've come full circle on the issue of pornography. I wanted to ask what your take is on it as a therapist, because great question. When I was interviewed a few years back after my book came out and and I was on Kyle Bradford's podcast, I had written about pornography in the book a bit. And I grew up in the sex positive era, which said, you know, there's nothing wrong with porn. It's part, you know, men are visual. It's part of our sexuality. It's, and, you know, all the books, you know, Good Vibrations, Guide to Sex, all, all the sex positive books, you know, they, they don't say anything really dark about pornography in a sense. But his take was the opposite. He's like, I had a big issue with it and I recommend men stay away from it, period. And so, you know, we, we had this difference of opinion. I've kind of swung over to Kyle's way of thinking a little more okay. as I've sat in men's groups and seen that there's a certain type of man, myself included, who have like an addictive compulsive personality who can habituate things. You know, Mm -hmm. I I don't drink anymore. I don't smoke cigarettes anymore because they were an issue. And Mm -hmm. I stay away from pornography now because I feel like it has the potential to be an issue where I'm using it too much. And I just wonder what your take is on that because my sense, and I don't know if I'm right about this, but my sense sometimes is men that are in partnerships where maybe it's not going well one of the things that's not being addressed is a man's porn use. Things aren't going well with the wife, but he's not talking about that. He's not owning up that every night he's at the computer. But I'm sensing there's a little bit of that going on with some people that I know. And I just wondered what your take was on it. Is it, is it addressed in therapy? Is it kind of like only if the man really wants to talk about it? Or do you see what I'm talking about where there's like maybe problematic signs and do you address that in your session? The thing that sticks out for me is the concepts. Uh, what we talk about a lot in couples therapy is top-down versus bottom-up approaches. And to take the substances and the other externals out and say, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to smoke, I'm not going to look at porn, that's a top-down approach where you just don't let the alcoholic in the bar. But there's a trainer I work with who keeps saying, everyone wants to talk about my drinking, but no one wants to talk about the thirst. It's like... We have these empty spaces in us we're trying to fill with things. And it's way past the porn issue in a lot of marriages. There's a man who's like, I'm like sitting in the driveway knowing I'm going to get yelled at because I'm late. 
but I have the milk I was told to pick up. And doesn't that count for something? But I know what's waiting for me when I walk in that door. Men and women are like in these face-offs where the woman is like, I'm always disappointed. And the man is like, I'm always a failure. And that's not feeling either of them. Right. So you're speaking to the bottom-up approach. Right. Yeah, you're saying like what's underneath the thirst for, you know, substance or, or pornography or whatnot. So I'm just like, let's talk about like those empty places in you that you wish your partner was filling. And I don't think it's it's sexual as much as people think. A, a lot of men just want to hear good job. Proud of you. You make me happy. And they don't get to hear that. And porn is this open space where everything is fine. and you can, project whatever fantasy you want onto it. As a gay guy, what I see is very interesting is for you to participate in porn as a straight man, you're just about 95% participating in the, su- the subjugation of women who don't have economic choices to let them do something other than porn. Whereas when gay guys are looking at porn, there's a little more leverage because the guy who's the subject of the porn he doesn't have as few options as a woman in the same situation. I think there's still power dynamics and economics that mean that gay guys are getting exploited also. But it's interesting to notice a lot of what you see in gay porn is actually guys creating their own porn with their own bodies that they built themselves. And there's, there's something a little more empowered about it. Yeah. So I don't feel quite as complicit in that, the economics of it. And for any gay guys listening that want to say, see, we're different, I would also say I have a friend who is a former porn director who says half his people that were in his films have committed suicide. So he got out of that business. Because you can see something's toxic in that business. And it's sort of like, you know, vegetarian. Like when, when you know what suffering it takes to bring this to your table, maybe you don't want it so much. Right. I would say we're in the middle of the most mass global addictions ever. And I don't know what we're going to do about it. I think it's so clear the human mind was not made to resist the attractions of a smartphone. Yes. And I consider myself a smartphone addict. And I have clients now doing something they call um, cell phone Sabbath, which means from Friday night to Saturday night, no cell phone, even though they're not even Jewish. And you have all the Silicon Valley parents sending their kids to schools with no internet while the poor are actually finding ways to have their kids on iPads all day long so they don't have to listen to their kids shrieking. And it's just a major problem. Any chance to turn off the internet, we should try it. Yeah, top-down approach because, uh, yeah, we're all addicts on the, on the smartphones. Uh, it's amazing how conditioned I am to look at my phone as soon as I get even the slightest amount of boredom and distress I must go to Twitter, Instagram, and get some eye candy. You know, see what Ben's doing. Ben posted anything. Oh, look, Ben posted a picture. He's on vacation. I just can't resist. God forbid, sit with myself and just be in the moment without having to look at something. You know, it's 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 strange. It's yeah. I don't know what we're gonna do exactly. Maybe take these little breathers from it. You know, I was just watching this movie Roma that came out on Netflix, and it takes place in 1960 Mexico. And you see kids playing in the dirt and having fun. And you're sitting there going like, what kid knows how to have fun with like some sticks and some rocks and some dirt? I'm like, could we go back to that? Yeah. So basic. I know. As a parent, I wonder 
we're hurtling with great acceleration into the future with the technology, but I'm the same kind of thing where I'm like, am we leaving something? We take my son hiking and camping and get him outdoors. Right. And thankfully he likes to do that. If he was Thank one of those God. kids, it's like, this is so boring. We would be really stressed about this issue. Um, what, what is something, Ben, that is, that's good for men that you don't see them doing enough of? Oh, I would say getting together with a bunch of guys and doing something stupid. Like I'm really struck by my non-American male clients. They all describe groups they have and they don't think of it as groups. But like I have one client who is Israeli. He and about eight other Israeli guys go hit the trails that are made for mountain bikes every weekend. And he says they stop at some place and they just have a big discussion about things. And it could be their wives or politics or something. It's all men and they laugh their heads off and they get stuff out and they feel connection. And I asked my male, uh, my American male clients what they do for connection. And they're just like, why would I go have a group of anything? What do you mean a group? At best, they have some guys I see at a pub. Have a few beers with. Any other activities beyond them. That Israeli group sounds like a men's group. They just don't call it that. They just go out and do stuff and then they bond. It's fantastic. Well, I got news for you. I think men in other countries do it naturally. It's the rugged individualism of the U.S. that trends us off of it. Yeah. Yeah, look at the cost of it. I mean, there's like widespread suicide, depression, you know, repressed emotions. So many men that are in their later years, 60s, 70s, that have like one friend or no friends. Wives, it's like, oh my God, I don't know how you do that and feel healthy and vibrant and connected by yourself, you know? So um, this last question, super easy, Ben. What do you you want your legacy to be? What do you want us to remember (laughs) you for? I don't know if I'm going to keep doing this one, but I just like it because I like to know what... You get some answer. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What do you want Um, us to remember you for? Well, I think that question is so easy. Maybe this is not fair to turn the question upside down, but that question speaks so much to a younger, more ego-based part of me that was like, I want to be famous. I want to have a painting in Museum of Modern Art. And it's very sort of out there results-oriented. And I would say it's taken me the last 20 years to realize that the goal is not some external finish line. It's to have the most completely open heart possible. That's when interesting things happen, is when I just go do my paintings without fear and with a sense of play and not focusing on what galleries are going into, but what are the actual problems of this painting that are right in front of me and do it with the most open heart possible. That's fantastic. I love it. Well, Ben, thank you so much for being on the show. This was a great interview. I love your, your heart energy and your insights. Um, and please come back again on we get on topics that are right up your power alley. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks, Tony. Okay. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Ben Seaman. I loved what he said about how men typically will have two emotional responses. One, I'm fine. And two, I'm pissed. I think that is where many men reside and one of the big reasons why things like therapy and men's work are so valuable. They give men more awareness of their natural emotional spectrum and more variety in their expression. Another thing that stood out to me was how Ben has noticed that men in other countries and other cultures will get together in groups to have adventures, share stories and insights, and laughter. American men, cultured as we are to go it alone, miss out on this brotherhood that seems to exist everywhere else but here. 
That's our show for today. Men, remember that the story of your life is not yet all told. I'm Tony Rezac, and thank you for listening to Basecamp for Men.